welcome to the bystander podcast in this episode we'll speak to navneet bhushan founder and ceo of crafty consulting good morning navneet and uh, welcome to this bystander podcast okay so thank you it's a privilege uh also uh, interesting questions uh, about uh, uh, going back and uh, asking this is a very peculiar type of a question also uh, how someone became the way he is now uh, of course it's a, uh, it is not a uh, i would not call it a very uh, linear type of a question uh it has its own nuances of course uh, and also one has to really understand whether the memory will serve me to answer this question correctly or not also is a uh, sort of it so coming to i'll come to that later uh, maybe right now what we are doing i uh, maybe we'll start with that and of course raghav i know you i mean it's a great thing to talk uh, after so many years i know you from wipro days of course and we were in that uh, quality we were in a organization called productivity office that time and we were exploring how to apply uh, new ways to solve problems or in fact different ways to solve problems specifically lean uh, from toyota production system how to apply for software services was our key focus that time uh, so i spent about 3 years there and uh, i met so many people during that time and also i realized that my core strength seems to be uh, working with people in solving problems looks like uh, that is what i enjoy right and uh, uh, some sort of a collaborative type of a uh, mechanism uh, or getting into the thick of things rather than preaching type of thing okay so that is i think one genesis of what uh, happened there when we started doing lean for software products uh, software services software development services product services or even pure bug fixing type of work also right uh, so how do we apply right so that is where i think the key lesson or key learning was that i like doing that but if i go back uh, to a little bit more about my work history uh, if you look at uh, i started my career in 1990 Uh, 23rd march 1990 to be precise okay. uh, and uh, the post or uh, it was a government job and the post or uh, the designation given to me was scientist okay so uh, in 1990 calling myself as a age of 23 calling myself scientist uh, was a peculiar type of a uh, sort of a uh, what shall i say it was a very peculiar uh type of designation mm-hmm. uh, call myself a scientist without actually having uh, uh i mean the view of the science being a scientist was a very different view right i mean right. look at and also you feel uh, some sort of a challenge also that now you are called a scientist therefore uh, you have to do science or you have to do something uh, right. scientific you have to uh, even if uh, you just muddle through the mess that typically problems are so however it was a very interesting period for me because uh, 1990 uh, 
uh, I joined an organization called Defense Research Development Organization, which is India's uh, prestigious, uh, uh, I mean, that time definitely it was, uh, yep. even now also, uh, one of the key uh, organizations in India, which is driven by government, uh, four, uh, you know, that four organizations, uh, CSIR, DRDO, ISRO, and Baba Atomic, or the Atomic Energy now. Uh, these are four key pillars that our forefathers started uh, long back when we right. got uh, right. independence. And uh, to join uh, such an organization, uh, and uh, I think you may know that that time uh, globalization was not there. And we were just still in a country where, which was more controlled, if you may, and more uh, with the mind of uh, public sector being the key driver, also the government organizations being the key driver. Right. So I think if you right. move, so it was a great uh, moment for me to join that organization. Uh, also, I was interested in defense uh, from my class 10th uh, in 1982. Uh, 1982, Indian Air Force actually uh, completed 50 years of its operation. In 1932, Indian operation, Indian Air Force was born, 1932 before the first, second world war and uh, they completed 50 years uh, in 1982 uh, 8th of october to be precise and 82 that time i was uh, uh, in delhi uh, we my father has passed away in 1981 and we shifted to i was 14 years when my father passed away and we shifted to delhi and uh, 82 fly pass was there the airplanes will fly right mm -hmm. from the Rajpath or from the India Gate and there they will just do it was a very special uh, thing and in my government flat uh, my mother was a teacher and uh, we had a government flat in Altapuram uh, Ramakrishnapuram is a government colony in Delhi and uh, we'll just I went to the top uh, on the rooftop mm -hmm. and watched those planes uh, mm -hmm. Jaguars and that time we had very hunters cameras and was so fascinated by uh, those airplanes uh, flying. Uh, also, I think that is the exact moment, I would say, when I was sort of driven towards knowing more about defense. Awesome. Of course, initially, initially, it was Air Force, uh, but uh, the airplanes, and of course, they fascinated. Uh, I was, uh, I think, in class 10th that time. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> So coming to this uh, previous work or previous age, reading habit, uh, I think we had a very... Uh, Maybe we'll come to that. Sorry, Navneet, to interrupt. Um, from that uh, defense organization, then how is your career mode? And uh, you... you oh, okay, okay. okay, okay. So I worked in DRDO for 10 years. 10 years, meaning 1990 till 2000. And that was a remarkable, uh, I think, impact on my work as well as whatever I did in a lab called uh, Institute for System Studies and Analysis. It still exists. Uh, that was looking at how systems work and mm -hmm. apply operations research type of methods to solve problems. Right. And of course, analyze combat weapons. And uh, so, uh, so in between, I also did my MTech from IIT Madras, which was uh, I got selected by DRDO to some six people were selected, and I also got selected, so I did that. And even my MSc also was sponsored by DRDO, by the way. Uh, 
because uh, in 1980s india was transitioning to this it boom mm-hmm. and our prime minister mm-hmm. that time uh, that rajiv gandhi he wanted to computerize so mm-hmm. some seven universities were chosen and they were selected to do something called msc computer science or software science program right. so i got selected in elabad university and did from uh, 1987 to 89 i did the two years msc that was sponsored by drdu again and they gave if you qualify you will be absorbed as a scientist so that is how i got my science scientist post <laughs> so okay uh, so after my so i did my mtech from uh, i mtech computer science again from iit madras uh, so well doing that my professor there um, uh, dr b yagnagaina rao he asked me uh, one question which is a very interesting question actually he asked me how many since i had already worked as a scientist in drdu uh, he asked me how many papers you have published mm-hmm. okay uh, that was in 96 i think and uh, i was i told him that we haven't published i haven't published any paper most of these are reports which are internal to uh, our organization mm-hmm. therefore uh, 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 that is what uh, we have these reports are whatever work i done for 5 years is uh, are those reports basically Right. Uh, so he said, so "How does the world knows that you have actually worked?" <laughs> that was a very interesting question. Actually. Right, right. So he right. he basically was saying that you have to tell to the world that this is your work, so that people can understand, review, give you feedback. Plus, they can learn from it. Mm-hmm. That was eye opener for me. Actually, it's a very interesting point about why we should. Uh, not only read also write mm-hmm. and the reading should be also through a writing combination and surprisingly uh, i have realized that the way to understand the world seems to be a combination of reading writing oh okay. interesting now this was the eye opener and when i came back uh, from uh, my iit madras uh, stint mtech uh, came back to my organization in delhi uh so we i published in 98 about uh, seven papers because of that particular particular point in one year in one year yeah oh 98 98 and one of them was in ballistics organization ballistics conference in south africa and uh, that was a very interesting paper and i went there and presented that was my first time i went out of india mm-hmm. also to make a presentation Uh, there were some very interesting papers also and also conference ballistics <laughs> you you i mean you can just imagine uh, a computer science guy uh, who talking about ballistics uh, in conference where people are talking about guns and uh, how these guns are going to explode or the bombs are going to explode and all those mm-hmm. so around uh, uh, 99 also we had this uh, kargil war if you remember yeah so kargil war was a sort of watershed moment for the whole country of also and also for our organization and my work also in my lab plus one thing happened that time uh, so what happened okay uh, from 97 when i came back dr kalam apj abdul kalam who became later our president also yes. was our scientific advisor and i some of my work i mean my labs work was strategic and we work with his organization very closely uh, if you remember 98 uh, we had this uh, before the kargil war we had this shakti explosion the nuclear test 
yes correct correct mm-hmm. yeah. so uh, doing so i when i came back i was involved in doing some study on if india does a peaceful nuclear test what sort of repercussions will be there so mm-hmm. we thought it's a just a futile type of exercise just to do a some sort of a conceptual thing but when we submitted our report on 10th may to mm-hmm. sa office uh, kalam's office and 11th may india did the test oh, okay. so it was a it was a very interesting uh, moment for me to uh sort of connect with my work being utilized in some form uh, also that was also there so what happened uh, from that time onwards dr kalam and his team including uh, dr shiv tanu pillai who was brahmos uh, uh, sort of father of brahmos missile of india and also other people uh, we started working together in some form specifically on uh, doing this um, uh what is called the nuclear doctrine for india mm-hmm. specifically after that uh after kargil war 1999 uh, dr kalam left drd okay and suddenly uh, he left i think uh, in uh, uh, 2000 january or something and suddenly the flavor of the organization changed uh, because a new guy a new of course new directions also were there also our lab also had some sort of a shift from the type of work that i was doing which was most strategic analysis using applying these mathematical modeling computer science modeling to solve those problems uh, in that context uh, around uh, 99 i came to bangalore to give a talk to one of the labs uh, we had here and simultaneously i got one invitation to talk to infosys <laughs> uh, in in bangalore so right. if you i don't know uh, you may remember uh, 2000 infosys was just a emerging story type of thing the world was getting uh, to know infosys uh, yeah. also yeah. the it countries of the world and y2k problem was just uh, like hot at that right. time 1999 uh, in fact so uh, what happened my that hr guy from infosys said sir since you have come to bangalore why don't you come and visit our campus okay. oh. 99 uh, and the electronic city campus very nice okay so when i went there i was uh, zapped saying boss what is this uh, campus mm-hmm. and uh, if india is having these sort of campuses like a singapore of the world type of thing and they said that we do research here we have something called a research labs here they used to call it tech labs yeah and i also worked there for some time <laughs> yeah <laughs> So they said, "Why don't you join us?" Uh, that uh, person, HR guy. Okay. And uh, later on, much later, when I met uh, uh, Mr. Pai, who mm-hmm. was the CFO late, uh, in one of the talks, he said, "We prefer whoever comes to Infosys. We suggest and prefer that we should bring him to the campus. Mm-hmm. Once he sees the campus, he is sold." And actually, that happened okay. <laughs> for me also. so i applied i mean i said okay we can do that and uh, i joined them in 2000 leaving drdo which was like more my sole work so to say right right and uh, from infosys uh, about 2 2 and 2 and a half years i worked in setlabs and we actually did mobile computing uh, research in saying the future of mobile computing how it is going to impact also somewhere around that time uh, uh, there was a small committee created to look at the impact of uh, intellectual property changes specifically patents 
how they are going to impact the software industry, specifically Infosys, of course. Infosys had, didn't have any patent that time, 2002, I think. <coughs> Uh, so I studied that uh, I was part of that committee. <laughs> okay, great. And from there, the question was about why patents or what is patent, of course, what is a specific. And I got interested in what is an invention, so mm -hmm. because of the patents comes from inventions. <clears throat> and there, uh, there was one method uh, of I sort of studied and went to a uh, so I used to publish my papers also. Go, yeah. will go to conferences, and Setlabs was supposed to be research one, so they will send. For so I went to one conference in 2002 June uh, in Kolk, uh, called the Food Sim, <laughs> Food Simulation in Food Industry. Okay. They yeah. called time temperature integrators and use mobile computing to look at the supply chain optimization uh, of perishable goods uh, using that method. And we had a model using something called the Petrinet's uh, techniques, uh, Petrinet modeling, uh, which was my interest area from uh, my MSc days also, uh, 1990s. In fact, my classmates still call me Petrinet guy, oh. and because I was so much into that, uh, even my mtech guys also those are the classmates. topics i skipped during my engineering <laughs> <laughs> okay okay uh, so my point is that i got fascinated because what i got fascinated about was how do we can model a visually model a system mm -hmm. using petrinets right so and also you can see if the tokens can be moved and we can actually see how the system uh, moves and visualize so i applied that to a mobile computing system uh, that was my mtech project also i got full marks out of in fact more than full marks so to say uh, because of the new class of petrinet we used to call it attributed token petrinet that we created but anyway that's uh, so what i'm saying is uh, when we spoke in that conference in cog cog mm -hmm. the next guy who spoke uh, after me uh, in that conference uh, was uh, mr daryl mann now, Darren Mann spoke about a method called TRIZ, T-R-I-Z, mm -hmm. Theory of Inventive Problem Solving. Right. Uh, that was in 2002. What was fascinating for me, also what was surprising and uh, startling, I would say, uh, was that not only me, no one in the audience had heard of TRIZ before that, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's a Russian method which came from Russia in 1990 when Russia broke down or Soviet Union broke down. Um, and interestingly, TRIZ was developed through analysis of a lot of patents. So you can see the connection from the patents to TRIZ and right. how I got interested in it. So I got so fascinated with this method uh, in that after the talk. Uh, in fact, the talk was about applying, uh, applying uh, TRIZ to improve the uh, heat or the improve the calorie content of the patties, the meat patties that they make on the, on, I mean, they, because it was food sim conference. Right, right. Uh, so uh, the other co-author of that uh, Daryl Mann was Barry Winkless. And these guys, I still have that proceedings of the uh, conference. And so I got very much interested. So you can see that how I developed this interest was that patents and inventions and of course, the method 
Twizzle's theory of inventive problem solving. So you can see the connection between inventions, patents, and the method also, yeah. the science, science, so to say, of inventing. Uh, so that was my, suddenly became my interest area. Unfortunately, the situation was the organization that I was working for, Infosys that time, uh, had zero patents, uh, or maybe one or two, maybe there, but they had no focus that time. But we were that we were supposed to give them a sort of a uh, report on saying why we should do that. Uh, so around 2003, uh, Philips uh, India uh, came up with this one ad saying that we are looking for patent uh, information specialists uh, to join us, and we will train them and also absorb them for the IP and S, Intellectual Property and Standard Division. That okay. so I applied and got selected. And we got trained in Eindhoven in Holland. Uh, I am a patent information specialist from an institute called Von Go in Hague. So I have a certificate also uh, on the patent information. Uh, so I, you, know, you see, I think I, because of my personal fascination uh, with uh, these methods and techniques I got interested more and more. So it is still was like focus. So in Philips also we did this analysis type of work and they asked us to do uh, what is called the prior art search, uh, searches of the inventive invention disclosures that their inventors were giving. And this group was doing a analysis of whether it's really a true invention or something already exists or not. Okay. If it exists, uh, so our work was very well, very compartmentalized and very clearly defined in terms of. So I learned the method of the dynamics of patents also and how the big companies, uh, uh, big companies like uh, multinational companies like Philips uh, are playing the game uh, okay. of uh, patents, which our IT companies were even not even aware actually that time, I would say. Not only aware, they had no clue uh, to yeah. play the game. Uh, it was that, that is what was the situation. Uh, so around that time, um, so but Triz was still my like uh, interest. Right. Thing, how mind works and how do how does people invent? So what happened? Uh, I uh, so this guy Daryl Man's friend uh, was there. Uh, uh, they had a company here in Bangalore called Creex, uh, which was a Triz company. They were developing some software here, and uh, uh, there was a guy, Creex owner was uh, Simon de Wolf in Belgium based guy. So they said, why don't you visit and uh, visit our Bangalore office? Uh, because uh, uh, I sent a mail to Daryl saying that this is what uh, I, I do, and I would be interested to know that. Then he said, you know, we have an office in Bangalore also, and I keep on coming here. Why don't you meet uh, our people? So I met them. And when I joined from Infosys that time, I called him at Infosys also to give a lecture. Uh, but uh, that, I think Infosys sort of saying that this is coming from mechanical, chemical engineering. Mm -hmm. All these things will not be able to apply to software. Uh, that sort of a mindset we had. You know, it's more of we are different than our industry is different than Correct. other industries. I think that time, I think even Indian IT industry was evolving and people have tried to understand software itself. Exactly, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, yeah, so that is, I think you may be right. Uh, but of course, uh, so that is my story there. So what happened uh, during that time, because I got interested in this, I joined them as the CEO of India 
in Crex for about a year I worked there. In there, the people there were doing the analysis part, which is analyze the patents and see whether the TRIS inventive principles are applied or not there and sort of send it to Belgium. So I converted, we created a team of uh, consultants using TRIS or inventive problem solving. And that was our work here. And using that team and also our understanding, we started giving these uh, consulting offering to India, right. Indian companies. That was in 2003-2004. And uh, doing one of these uh, things, uh, one of these, uh, our client, Wipro became our client. Okay. okay. Wipro, I think you will know Jagdish Ramaswamy. Yeah. He was our, I think, the chief quality yeah. officer yeah. later on. So uh, he became my client. Okay. And uh, during that time, if you remember, I don't know, the, they used to have this SQA, Software Quality Assurance Group. Yeah, I was I, part of that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in that, uh, I think, uh, so Jagdish said, why don't you address that and tell them about this also. So we, I gave lectures to that group also. And we also did some six or seven projects from CREEX to Wipro. Mm -hmm. So somewhere around uh, that time, uh, CREEX said that we don't want... Uh, uh, Sorry to develop this consulting one in India, we would like to work outsourcing model. So I said, no, we will not be interested because we have now shown to the world that we can do it in India, this consulting type of work. So I started, I said, okay, I'm going to leave. So I went to Wipro saying, boss, I'm leaving. Maybe I'm leaving this and someone else will work with you guys. So Jagdish and uh, he connected me to Anurag Bihar and uh, Sambuddha Dev. And they said, why don't you join us? Because we are also exploring how to apply uh, industry level practices for software, uh, software quality and innovation specifically. And they, are ex they said, we are exploring TRIS as well as uh, Toyota production system, which is lean and yeah. theory of constraints also. So these are three things that they were exploring. I said, why, why would you explore, I mean, choose one of these? Why can't we have our own framework type? That was my thought. But uh, all said and done, I joined them in what was called the productivity office. They just started that. And there we applied lean, uh, applied lean. Uh, but in my work for two and a half years that I worked where I met you also and so many other uh, people who were in this quality group, uh, also the software development team. I think till 2007 uh, or 2007 July, I worked there. And uh, it was a fascinating experience to do this, uh, applying this for about, I think, some 700 projects I was involved, uh, applying this lean for the uh, thing in multiple domains. Yep. So there, I think, I, then there I realized that my core competence seems to be three things. <laughs> I mean, that was my realization. Uh, consulting, uh, for whatever you want to call that consulting, meaning I call consulting as problem solving together. Correct. type of thing uh, in a more like getting into the best yep. yeah something like that and research and also teaching now why teaching because uh, maybe genetically my mother's side all of them are teachers my uncle my <laughs> they are professors my mother was a teacher so i think that some genetic thing is there uh, to <laughs> right. so, to do this teaching thing uh, so three things uh, research because of my bent of mind from the, I mean, 
someone calling me scientist and giving me designation maybe i am supposed to do research also so i started doing research maybe uh, but research seems to be <laughs> the uh, the core core competence uh, i would say or core interest really. and then teaching and of course uh, consulting so and now i am more of a professor material <laughs> <laughs> i think let's not label um, uh, i want to also explore uh, like during your uh, school days uh, were you very studious or uh, you how did you what kind of books you used to read and uh, how was your school days uh, school days i think i never got more than 60 marks 60% marks in any any of the classes i was so less interested in sitting in the class uh, i am much more interested in playing football or cricket outside or mm-hmm. any other game i would say uh, but a uh, couple of points about the school days i think still some points about mathematics fascinated even my class 1 2 3 also i remember so mm-hmm. some fascination with maths was there with numbers and how does these uh, numbers become whatever <laughs> become uh, operation so some interest was there uh, which was there Uh, the reading habit uh, it so happened that we used to live my father was a government servant we used to live in a suburb of uh, near delhi called faridabad which is now an industrial town uh, and their government quarters were there and my my uh, grandmother's house was in delhi so during summer holidays we used to go uh, to delhi from faridabad in a train and regularly it used to happen and whenever we go there we'll go to the train uh, uh, station platform and the platform there was a magazine shop right. and my father used to buy a lot of magazines and uh, these things even our home also we used to get uh, many magazines uh, type of magazines and newspaper also plus my mother used to get hindi magazines uh, like dharam yug was a interesting magazine that time a very literary type of thing my mother was a writer right you know and she had published so many books also before she passed away this year uh, but my point is that the in the in our house we had so many books and so many i think the reading habit became very clearly embedded because in those train journeys we used to buy those magazines kids right. magazines like champak notepot uh, diwana madhumuskan or those sort of. so i used to buy my father will tell me that which one you want to i will buy one or two and we will buy and read it there were the cartoon strips and some stories were there so i think throughout that primary school we used to buy them somewhere i started reading novels uh, around maybe middle school and in hindi most of these were in hindi uh, uh, there was so many novels uh, my cousins were in delhi and when we used to go to delhi Uh, we will get exposed to english novels like hardy boys biggelsworth uh, biggels uh, was a the second world war aircraft type of uh, pilot and commando comics type of thing so reading was relatively prevalent in our sort of a ecosystem i would say. good good to know that it developed So yeah, I one point I can take from this is uh, no, no. I can say that uh, good to know that uh, uh, 
the marks and the reading is two different things because uh, most of the indian parents associate reading and marks together because Absolutely. personally i also believe uh, uh, you should just to if you develop that reading the joy of reading or understanding exploring that has more value uh, good to know about that absolutely yeah that's one point i would like to also mention my view has which has developed now also mm-hmm. uh, more than marks i think uh, for, for example in my case whatever was prescribed in my syllabus mm-hmm. in the textbooks okay. i hardly touched them during my msc till my msc i never <laughs> even my uh, whenever the prescribed syllabus was a very diff- i mean it was a core it was a it was a uh, it was a sort of a burden to read those books but i read out that context so for example during my bsc physics honors i read more on white dwarf stars and chandrashekhar maslevich which is our which was not in the syllabus and i got more interested in string theory uh, going into the i mean deeper into quantum mechanics and all those things sort of things also the string how the world is connected so 11 dimensions all those things interestingly i would say when i was interviewed for my msc uh, there was a professor who was a physics professor he asked me question on string theory had i not read that i would not have answered right so that's also i think or maybe uh, the way i read uh, which was outside the syllabus i was understanding more yeah. right because it was my own interest and investment so to say right so i think we need to really see whether the indoctrination of the education system uh, that we are forcing people to read as prescribed syllabus every set very set one is that the right one or not is also a question i think i don't know uh, so of course coming to the finland schools studies where there is no syllabus and no maybe somewhere that in between type of a solution has to emerge when we talk yeah, some, about that some guidance because uh, maybe all um, individuals may not uh, like that kind of a free maybe they might want some guidance or they want to just yes. put in a limited effort because some people are more maybe uh want to do activities or something yeah. not to read but i i personally i i prefer understanding and reading um more of theory than uh because that also gives us some kind of a context uh, how how things work also that's right and off late what is your interest now like what what have been up to and what is what okay. what is meaning about our professional work now yes yeah what do you do uh now so uh, so after wipro i uh worked for about a year as a vice president of innovation in a company called hexaware uh, which was a chennai based company again a software company but after that i realized that whatever i am doing seems to be a very restrictive type of in a particular organization type of work so why don't we start our own type of thing so we started our company uh, graffiti in uh, 2008 uh, june Uh, so we actually completed this month uh, 12 years uh, 2008 we started awesome so this is the 13th year but of course this is a lockdown type of a scenario so uh, 13th year starts with lockdown uh, but maybe this is the opportunity if you remember 2008 when we started our company saying that we can help people to innovate and solve problems and get into that in june by september the world told us that uh, we are in a recession we don't need innovation 
because 2008-2009 there was a subprime crisis that was coming up and uh, uh, it was everywhere we went we said that we can help you to look at the next whatever they said boss we want to save our lives right now let us save our jobs because uh, looks like we are going to have a huge challenge uh, interestingly we were incubated so we got an incubation uh, type of space at im bangalore that time uh, so company was already registered but we talked to them, I mean, we were selected by them after our registration and we spent about 18 months at im bangalore and there is a place called nsr cell ns raghavan center for entrepreneurship and learning ns raghavan is a person one of the founders of infosys who has invested in this uh, part also uh, so it was a interesting experience to spend 18 months uh, so from there onwards we have been developing uh, these frameworks for innovation and till 2011 all those guys uh, who were saying we don't need innovation uh, so uh, 11 onwards 2011 onwards uh, so we spent about three years uh, trying to tell people that this is what we should do also uh, doing whatever work we can on the innovation space 11 onwards we got those companies Indian oil company as our client TVS motors uh, LG electronics uh, uh, Wipro also was our client, became our client. Uh, so, I mean, now we have so many clients now where we are helping them to uh, solve problems and specifically what is the end-to-end -end innovation framework and how do we use this to solve problems. So the work with that we do is we work with the researchers or the inventors or designers or people who are engineers uh, who are getting into doing work and working with them to first is to help them identify the key problem to be solved and identify why or how that problem can be transformed into an inventive problem and apply tools and other techniques that we have uh, to solve those problems and also sort of take them to a level of inventiveness which is higher than the run of the mill solutions that typically will come so this is our key work now in this about 12 years of this work now we have an end-to-end -end framework graffiti uh, we call it the innovation crafting can you just repeat it and i just lost your voice hi now need yeah hello yeah i think uh, hello yeah i can hear you now go ahead you were mentioning about okay, framework can you hear me i can hear you clearly yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Yeah. Uh, we have this innovation crafting framework. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Innovation crafting is what we call, and uh, there we actually looked at five five paths to innovation. Okay. Hello. Yeah, I can hear you. I'm just switched okay. off the video just to have the maybe bandwidth. Okay. okay. Shall I also switch off? No. Yeah. Maybe let us let us try uh, let's, for a few minutes. You can switch off okay. the video. Okay, let me see how to do that. On the top, there is must be a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Now I think now it is fine. Yeah. You are mentioning about the graffiti framework. That's right. So innovation crafting, we call it uh, the framework. Hello. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, okay. Uh, so innovation crafting. So we have this uh, framework where we have the found these five paths to innovation five ways in which innovation can happen uh, one is through imagination second is to when you transform a system into a new uh, system 
third is to solve a problem fourth is there is a customer insight or a user insight that has come and fifth is the technology foresight because technologies are changing and therefore uh, they will impact your system or your work in some way so these five paths are the five different starting points and if you look at this each of these will lead to specific type of solutions or specific type of uh, inventive solutions uh, which will be at different levels so we have charted out these paths in our work now uh, so we call it the five paths to innovation and five ways in which uh, you can explore so we have this structured innovation projects that we use these uh, techniques to solve these problems uh, solve the problems or more than solution the pro solving the problem we basically look at how to identify the real problem that you are solving okay so that is the key okay so it has uh, now end to end framework and we have applied to all sort of domains now i mean automotive software uh you name them we actually the even making new shampoos also or getting into how to increase the lpg productivity of the oil refinery type of thing also so these sort of uh, problems also we have applied uh, so this is the work that we do now and uh, uh, we have even philips is now our client now for example so we have all these companies uh, who are part of our uh now we need to sort of take it to the next level which is where the next phase of our work will be to scale it up right yeah also in this lockdown i would say so far we were working with a model called the uh, invent with you model where we get with the your people and work with them to mm -hmm. solve this problem so about a year back i mean before this lockdown type of scenario we started saying that maybe we can offer this as a service where we will invent for you mm -hmm. meaning so you give us a some sort of a high level problem statement we will invent for you because we know these methods and we can actually put in the domain guys also if you want or uh, this abstraction these techniques and you don't need to learn because people are saying we do i mean the companies are saying there is a lot of time that goes in in our people learning these methods so there is a learning curve to be taken so right. besides the learning curve can you yourself solve this problem we'll give you a turnkey solution so this has been an interesting type of a development uh, which is basically saying now we can offer this a uh, worldwide we can offer this actually i mean anyone who has any particular problem statement uh, using this process you give it to us we will give you some so, six or seven patentable solutions type of thing. that's a that's a type of service that we are now doing okay now uh, okay I, i don't know where what was the question that we were trying to answer no that is that But, is good like what what are up to what what you're focusing on and the uh, one yeah. few um, kind of uh, we've got enough means a lot of information two hmm. things i wanted to also touch upon is uh, always uh, uh, we say you know like uh, in organization because i i spent lot of time in process improvements there is always a tendency when organization is going through crisis or there is a means overall market there is a slowdown uh, there is no budget means people don't want to spend mm -hmm. and uh, when everything when the economy is booming then it is not a priority so mm -hmm. how do you see that uh, that kind of a constraint because uh, because i'm sure you also might have observed this kind of a situation where uh, when things are not good people say no we, we cannot invest in, in innovation 
but yeah. everyone wants to use it in their brochures that is a different That's story it. but uh, really putting that effort that uh, that investment of time and money uh, to do innovation and when things are going fine uh, nobody wants to do a serious work so absolutely. how do you see that like what was what That's is your i think you are absolutely right there is a tendency for us to continue to be in the the thick of the things the way the things are moving uh, if it is sort of comfortable we will like to continue to be in that comfort zone if you may right okay. uh, also the core competence if i am winning uh, in a particular world i would like that world to continue and something like um, you know there is a saying in our in india uh, when the uh, when the pigeon sees a cat mm -hmm. right it closes its eyes thinking that the cat is not there mm -hmm. okay but so that sort of a i think this mindset may be there when the crises are there uh, we tend to i mean organizations a large organizations specifically tend to ignore them saying that even if they find that there is a crisis that is coming up uh, so this is a very interesting phenomena so we actually created a tool called change response metrics we basically look at you just map all the changes technological or ideal i mean organizational or the competitive or the customer behavior or whatever is changing in your ecosystem you write down those changes and map it to how urgent that change is to the impact that you are going to get and what exactly is your response so we call it the change response matrix it's a 5 by 5 matrix all these are fixed and this has worked very nicely for the strategic type of input for us specifically in last 2 3 years uh, where we are calling that this is the uh, we are getting into this creative destruction right now where this is the sixth creative destruction i would say uh, because uh, 1990 is when the software based world came into picture and 94 the world wide web came and changed the uh, the way the infosys or in the, the way the world does business uh, this is the year when this this is the last 3 4 years is when this uh, algorithmic intelligence and also this iot type of things are going to change to us to look at how to synthesize reality biology and energy now with ability to synthesize reality uh, at multiple levels uh, also uh, biology and energy is what we call the sixth wave of innovation using iot and uh, things are becoming autonomous uh, network uh, nano and hypersonic and mm -hmm. using this algorithmic intelligence and within a 10 within a decade i think we are going to get into computer quantum computing also when you get a mix of this sort of a, a change I, we are going to see in very different world in next 10 years or so uh, if you look at 1990 world and 2020 world you anyway can see how much change we have seen and that much of change will be there in next 10 years or in fact much more than that is what is clear right now this is the point when uh, and it, because of this uh, covid situation uh, we actually have a time to think through of every organization so we are saying that the world every organization every company every business every government sh every country should be looking at how to reinvent its own models now reinvention if you remember 1990s is something called a business process reengineering right bpr right why was that important because the software became the key component 
uh, the algorithms became the key component, which was not there in the 70s and 80s world, industrial world, right? So everyone, as you are a process guy, so you understand, the business process reengineering continued for about 10 years, uh, from 1990 till, and then it died completely, and then the Six Sigma and Lean and all those things came into picture or came up to the level at which they become so-called. Uh, today, we are going to really look at business reinvention, in my opinion. And that business or the, in fact, total reinvention uh, from the system perspective. So holistic reinvention uh, is what we should be looking at. And maybe it is a uh, not the business process reengineering. It's the business reinvention is what we're saying. Business system reinvention, I think it should be looking at what we are looking at. And that we are pretty primed now. We have so many techniques and methods that we have experimented. Also, the complexity theory has developed so much. And I think we are primed to take this uh, to the next level. Very good. Good. Thanks, uh, Navneet. It was a very interesting uh, discussion. So many insights, so many learnings. Um, yeah, I mean, thank you. A uh, few questions about... Uh, uh, I know like I asked you many times about this, uh, like uh, what is your favorite book and all. I think for you it is impossible okay. to tell. Yeah. Um, uh, but if I had to say that uh, maybe if we get some seat on uh, Alan Musk's uh, Mars, uh, this thing, and you have to carry only three books, not your Kindle or anything, which mm-hmm. uh, some of the your what are your top books if you want to carry that that you yeah. your favorites and maybe some books you want to recommend to others that everyone should read this book actually i blogged this uh, about uh, four or five years back 10 books that has changed my life so to say or uh, that has been my favorite so i'll send you that link also but i'll just tell you the link uh, the name yeah. uh, the book that i have recommended or in fact i would suggest that everyone should carry is this one i keep it with my this is called i am that okay so this is a talks by of course, since we are in India, so we will have some Baba to tell us something, right? So this is a spiritual book, but not exactly spiritual in the spiritual framework. So if you know this, this we had this four Vedas, right? I mean, that four Vedic uh, Mahavakyas about you know, looking at the reality. Uh, so you know, the Mahavakyas are that uh, it reaches from uh, something called a non-duality to, I mean, from duality to non-duality which is basically saying all of us are same, of the same uh, same uh, material. And the inner inner connect that we have with each other is through, I mean, they call it the Atma or whatever, that inherent, the inherent soul, uh, which is the same, uh, so to say. Uh, this guy uh, has, this book has uh, discussions uh, as question-answer form. And I would suggest uh, this to everyone. In fact, I keep on sending the PDF to everyone, uh, saying that that. I am that. This is by talks with Shri Nisargita Maharaj. So I will just show you how much, how many bookmarks it has, how many uh, these things it it has. I read it many times. I so whenever I have time or I need to do something, I just pick this up, book up, and see, read something. So it is not important what exactly you are reading, but the words and the question answer create some mechanism in the mind. So this is one book I would recommend will take to Mars if you really want to go there, <laughs> first of all, or you create the Mars in your home. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
other nine books are there which are there on my blog but i will just tell them uh, uh, in fact they are so interesting there was a guy there is a ai guy i mean the AI, artificial intelligence expert now his name is douglas hofstadter he wrote this very interesting book called godel aisha back uh, let me see if i have yeah so i have these uh, his books also with me okay just a very big book it's called the jeb the godel aisha back mm-hmm. godel aisha back by douglas hofstadter okay i'll send you this okay. so this is uh, this book uh, won him a pulitzer prize actually uh, it was written in 80s Uh, it is on creativity okay how the various trends is called the eternal golden braid right a godel aisher back this a aisher was a person a painter who made uh, unimaginable or non realistic paintings if you remember mm-hmm. and godel was a mathematician who gave us this godel uh, theorem and which basically says mathematics itself is incomplete right it's a, that is how and back is a musician who gave us all the music so he is basically saying all these three guys have a sort of a common thread to it but this is not not the book that i am recommending of course this also you can read uh, but this guy douglas hofstadter wrote uh, a column in scientific american okay uh, on uh, metamagical themes this is the book this is a this book i read in my 80s 19 late 1980s and early 1990s and i will say this has sort of given me fantastic uh, understanding of uh, how to FM. of course i don't understand all of this but a lot of mathematics lot of physics but this is giving me very nice view of how this information and computing uh, really works through them so i would suggest uh, hofstadter's metamagical themes of course you want to read the jeb also it's fine <laughs> the uh, third one i would suggest is uh, uh, sciences of the artificial by uh, uh, simon uh, uh, herbert simon who gave who was a nobel prize winner uh, who got nobel prize for economics and uh, who gave us bounded rationality uh, concept of bounded rationality right? Right. so his book called the sciences of the artificial uh, i think is a very useful and interesting book even now in fact it talks about artificial intelligence along with complexity theory along so so many things are there in that also the design in fact the definition of design that he has given is still very very interesting because we nowadays has this fad of design thinking and all those things uh, i would recommend people to read the third book which is simon uh, yeah, herbert simon's book on sciences of the artificial and then of course general system theory by weinberg i think is the uh, fourth one Uh, and the fifth is the how we make uh, uh, decisions uh, thinking the art, the thinking slow and fast right by kahneman who got the yeah. nobel prize and this is a, that's also uh, where the behavioral economist came into picture which basically says that we basically give less uh, weightage to our gains but more weightage to our losses is our typical way in which we make decisions so we don't want to lose what something uh, rather than gain more like that so that's it and of course uh, i would say talib's books also uh, fooled by randomness <laughs> i mean i recommend those books anyway uh, black swan and uh, anti fragile 
these three books and uh, no the skin in the game is the fourth book that i think uh, also can be looked at from the perspective of who are the people who you should listen to people who have skin in the game not someone who is going to preach who doesn't have any input in that or any insight into that because he is not invested if you are not invested in something you have no right to actually uh, tell is what he is saying so it's a skin in the game i think is a very very interesting book of course fooled by randomness uh, black swan and uh, anti fragile also is there uh, so i keep on quoting them <laughs> these books uh, in all the presentation that and but so i mean since you have started on books i can keep on doing yeah, maybe uh, a, i think i'm thinking uh, we should have a specific podcast for uh, uh books itself because that's also my one fascinating i mean so I, i really love uh, reading books but i'm not uh, a, i don't read too many books i just enjoy i mean so it's like uh, i enjoy reading I means so that whole process itself it may take couple of months for me to read but uh, i like uh, reading books then what i do is uh, maybe i ask people like you <laughs> their favorite books and i read only those so they might have done all the filtering for me <laughs> okay okay Uh, but i think uh, uh, i also i mean so there is this guy uh, umberto eco mm-hmm. uh, he has said that uh, you need to have books and it doesn't matter whether you read them or not okay but you need to have them as your entire library and basically he says that books that are not read but in your repertoire in your system in available to you is your entire library anti library which basically means that you understand how much knowledge is there which you haven't explored now so that you are keeping with them so that i think is the he has some thousands or 10000s of books in his library i think maybe 100000 and he said people asked him whether you get everything he said obviously no but so i would say that it is not important to read everything that you have but uh, definitely to understand how much people have put uh, as form of a book uh, the thoughts and the minds uh, inputs that uh, are available to humanity to explore because uh, no other animal has this capability right in the living system only human beings have done this uh, sort of a collection of knowledge so to say okay. so very say that way it is good to have that knowledge and but i would recommend the reading of course reading should also have this writing as part of the process and that is where i think i am becoming more and more convinced that writing uh, and reading combo is the way to understanding i think understanding. i totally agree with you and uh, this is uh, a really uh, kind of a new insight though i had kind of experienced that myself but to put it in a right form because uh, as i started writing blogs uh, i realized uh, my thought process was becoming more clearer mm. and uh, in order to write a blog also as reading and it's all complementing each other um, exactly. but you put that in a nice way i think uh, i also um, kind of agree with that um, today we had a lot of various topics and you kind of uh, nicely shared your uh, journey and uh, what you are been and uh, a lot of interesting topics definitely um, i think we should do uh, another session on only on the books because yeah, sure. there's so much to share and inspire people to read uh, thank you for uh, your time thanks. and uh, you have anything to share before we close this uh, podcast 
yeah i think uh, this is for so i would say first of all remarkable uh, sagan uh, sort of excitement for me to speak uh, about things i typically do not speak about specifically about my journey uh, so to say and also uh, type of questions that you have asked is not what we discuss in our day to day life actually so it has been a exhilarating experience for me to speak of course when i speak i like uh, whether other people like it or not that me <laughs> because you like your own voice right typically but having said that this has been a great experience for me to talk about and i don't know how useful it is for the audience 